Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to The Suitcase and The Scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside, along for another edition of The Suitcase and the Scribe, Mike McKenna. You, I, I've got always a little bit of mood lighting going on here. I, I moved to my basement. It just says look, shake things up here for the final. You look beautiful. I mean, it very prominently displays your face, and I always want to see more of that. I uh, I'm, who doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> so I, 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 Mike, I'm so, you know, it's so exciting. I'm not sure... The buzz that and the vibe that has surrounded the lead up to the Stanley Cup final of 2022, Tampa in Denver to face the Avs, Avs in the final for the first time since 2001. Uh, it, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm, I hope that the buzz and the vibe doesn't exceed what we see on the ice. I don't know. What do you think? Like, have you been, when was the last time you, were this jazz for a Stanley Cup final matchup, do you think it, it can possibly live up to? I've seen people say could be the best final in any sport, could be the best final in the uh, Stanley Cup final since the lockout. What do you, what do you make of, of the, the narrative or the backstory heading into game one on Wednesday night in Denver? I sure hope it is because it's being billed as a clash of the Titans. You've got the best team in the West in Colorado who steamrolled everybody who by all ostensible purposes, was the Stanley Cup favorite at the start of the season before anybody dropped the puck against the two-time champion Tampa Bay Lightning, who seemed to just continue to get better somehow this far into their run in what could potentially be a dynasty. You know, it's already knocking on the door. And I'm, I'm pretty amped. But I got to tell you, Scott, this is, and what's cool, man, this is the, we're kind of coming close to concluding our first year doing the suitcase and the scribe together, which is really awesome. It's been the first season that we got to really cover, you know, hand in hand, if you will. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is my third year in media, but the first two were tied to the Vegas Golden Knights. So when they lost out, it was just kind of, okay, well, I can decompress a little bit. I'll casually watch the finals. I wasn't covering them. Well, Now I'm all invested, right? Because covering the finals, excitement for the finals, it's also different than as a player. When you're playing, you you know, I talk to a lot of players about this, that when you lose out in playoffs or you don't make playoffs, it's typically like the first, it takes you a round or two to get back into the action because you're decompressing. By the finals, you start to come around and then it's like, okay, I'll watch. I'm happy and see my friends. It's different in media. Like, 
You're all in. So I'm amped about it. I, I think that we've got as good a matchup as we possibly could here. Uh, and two teams that are just really strong, man. I'd love your goaltending matchup. And to me, uh, breakdown of the matchup. And to me, maybe that's a great place to start. Cause to me, there are like, there's so much going on with this series, especially ahead of game one injuries and the, what the lineups are going to look like respectively. But to me, it begins and ends in goal, Andre Vasilevsky, and then Darcy Kumper and or Pavel Francouz. I loved your breakdown as, as our resident goalie expert. When you think of this matchup, it's not, it's not really classic final goalie matchup. Do you think? Uh, not really, because typically you think of each team having a goaltender that's carried the mail the whole time. And that's obviously right. been the case with Vasilevsky. Um, but Kemper and Francois have largely had to split I mean, due to circumstance, you know, Kemper was supposed to be the guy. He has an eye injury against the National Predators in the first round and misses a little bit of that series and that an upper body injury against Edmonton. And yeah. Pavel Francois has to come in and take care of business. And so, yeah, it's it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, we saw something similar with Pittsburgh, with Matt Murray and Marc-Andre Fleury winning a Stanley Cup in tandem where injuries did play a factor in it. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's it, it's really not a it, people look at it as kind of like a David Goliath thing when it comes to goalies, I think. And that's not the case. Darcy Kemper has been a top end goalie in the national hockey league for a while now. Um, but it, it's more of control group and Andre Vasilevsky versus experimental group and Kemper, because for better or worse, you just don't know how Kemper's going to respond to the moment in the Stanley cup finals, presuming that's who Jared Bednar chooses to be his goaltender to start, yeah. which I would expect you don't trade for four and a half million dollar asset as you're starting goalie. You don't start in game one. It just doesn't happen. So um, I, I'm, I'm interested to see that because we all expect Vasilevsky to be all world. Yeah. Um, but let's not forget that Vasilevsky did have a couple of real stinkers to start the New York Rangers series. He allowed nine goals in two games, yeah. allowed a pile of goals in the first round um, as well. So in early in a series, yeah. um, I don't think it's necessarily a foregone conclusion that Vasilevsky is going to be the lights out goaltender we've seen. And one of the reasons is that the, he hasn't played well against Colorado avalanche in his career. Yeah. Like his lowest save percentage is against the avalanche at an eight, seven, seven. Now he's only played five games against them, but he's only won once. Now, I know we're dealing with regular seasons, Scott. I know it's a different animal. I know Andre Vasilevsky, the best money goalie in hockey. I don't disagree with any of that. But it gives me pause for concern because Colorado is so skilled. And it's not like there's been a fall off when these two teams have faced each other. It's been ad Colorado over the last several years. Yeah. Um, and then you look in the other direction, and Kemper's actually been pretty good against the Lightning. He's 4-2 against them with strong numbers. Yeah. But is Kemper going to be the best version of himself coming off of an injury, yeah. knowing that he, I don't think he handles traffic as well as some goaltenders. I don't, I don't think he tracks the puck as well. He's not quite as mobile on secondary chances. He's not a great skater. I don't know how that's going to play in playoffs. Yeah. And, and I rattled off the reasons why I have concerns about Kemper, his strength. He's a big goalie that takes up space. And if he's in position, if he's square, man, he makes a lot of saves but he's not overly explosive. And that's what Vasilevsky is. Vasilevsky is explosive. He's, he's dynamic. He, he's always in the play. There's very rarely open nets because he's, he can play so long uh, with all that reach. And you have to hit corners on Vasilevsky. 
you're not going to score if you just put it in the middle of the net, and that ups the ante. So um, I could go on and on about this matchup, Scott. It's fascinating to me. I mean, Franco's again, 6-0, and okay? Franco's did his job, but the eye test against Edmonton, to me, gave me pause for concern. Lateral plays, low and wide, had a hard time getting across, high shots. These are all things that the Lightning do very well. So um, I'd expect Kemper and Vasilevsky. We think we know we're getting from Vasilevsky. We're not sure on Kemper. Um, but you had a fantastic piece that's out on Daily Faceoff as well, previewing this series, Scott. And um, you detailed a few of the things that I had noticed yesterday getting ready for a Daily Faceoff show. You know, one of them highlighting special teams play, yeah. highlighting five on five play. And you uncovered some pretty interesting things leading into the series. Well, I mean, it, it, there are so many ways to, you know, sort of, yeah, take care of that. Um, to, you know, I mean, to me, there are so many ways to unpack this series. Um, and the idea for me is if this series gets played at five on five, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a strength of the Colorado Avalanche, right? They, even without Nazem Kadri, um, who was, uh, of course, injured early in the Western Conference final after being piled by, uh, Evander Kane, still uncertain, you know, at what point he might reappear, what's his, you know, you know, effectiveness going to be given the, mm-hmm. what we believe to be a hand injury and surgery that uh, was required to address that injury. Um, it, this Av team is still chock-a-block with offensive depth and guys have really risen to, to the occasion of, of seized the moment, whether it's JT Comfer or Darren Hellman mm. for me, the, 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 just the sheer explosiveness fr- from the back end. And of course, led by Kale McCarver, it's, it, it's almost everyone on that back end is chipping in. I mean, the Devin Taze has been uh, outstanding playing with McCarr. Um, you know, you've seen this back end really jump into um, offensive situations for the avalanche. It, the numbers are are quite startling when you consider how much has been contributed from the back end from by Colorado compared to Tampa, which, you know, again, um, it, it's Victor Hedman's a, a beast. Uh, you got your two Norris trophy finalists in McCarr and Hedman going head to head. Um, but the abs don't generate much from the back end. They just, they don't relative to the abs. And so if you're playing five at five, and you're rolling four lines, which is what the Avs, um, you know, have done so successfully this spring. Um, you know, the, uh, without Braden Point in the lineup, the Lightning are a little bit more top-heavy, of course, with Stamkos, Kucherov, and Andre Palat really carrying the mail offensively, um, even though they also have depth guys who can step into the fray. But I, I just love the idea that, they're, you know, the, the balance is going to go back and forth, um, you know, on a nightly basis. And, and I think the Avs have the edge five on five if they can continue to play that way, which they have for the most part, right? I mean, you, you know, that's where been their strength um, in, in reaching their first final since 21. Do, do you buy any of that? Are you, are you on board? Well, offensively, yeah, but I think that that's where, you know, I, I kind of have a different approach to this in that I think – the defensive side of five on five for Tampa might be what does it for them as opposed to the offensive side for Colorado. This is the cat and mouse game that we're watching because when you look at the numbers for what Tampa Bay has done five on five, I mean, I don't have them in front of me, but like they've allowed a little, a little bit over one goal a game in playoffs five on five. And 
to me, that defense matters because they were able to shut down a really good rush team in the, in the New York Rangers. You know, that's a team that lived on the rush and power play. And I see a little bit of that in Colorado as well, but they could do it any way you need it. And the only team that so far has given Colorado fits was St. Louis. Why? St. Louis had Ryan O'Reilly, who could shut down the McKinnon line for the most part. But the Avalanche still generated rush chances against St. Louis even, who was probably the, the, the best team they would have faced like that. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. Five on five is going to win the series for me because both these teams have good special teams. Like they both have a strong power play. They, Especially Tampa's had um, a strong penalty kill, although it did dip against the Rangers, which is something to, to keep an eye on in this series. Um, but I think the one thing that I have a tip towards the lightning is the intangibles. Yeah, It's the shot blocks. It's the dedication to the system when things go wrong. it's the the complete and utter lack of a panic button, (laughs) you know, and Colorado's hunger to win that may completely override what the lightning have. But I do wonder when do we see Kadri and how much of a factor? Cause to me, he may hold the key to this series. You look how good he was against St. Louis creating mismatches and lines, you know, Jared Bender's never been afraid to roll his top line out against another top line. He'd put McKinnon out against O'Reilly, no problem. Well, I think you're going to see a lot of Sorelli against McKinnon in this series. Sorelli, Kalorn, if Hagel's with them, I think that's going to happen. Can they shut down McKinnon? And if Kadri's hanging around, boy, I like Kadri up against the Stamkos line. So there's a lot of, there's more question marks, I think, than we expect just because of health in this series, even though there's not many players missing. It's key players. Same with Braden Point. Braden Point's going to help the Tampa Bay power play. No question in my mind. He'll make them faster. All those things. When do we see them? Uh, That is the one thing that I think could change everything. So, Well, let me ask, because I'm curious about that, because it does seem like Braden Point is much closer than Nazem Kadri, and that's just Mm -hmm. reading the tea leaves from far away and after media day. And, you know, Braden Point's clearly close. And, and, and I, you know, I think the expectation is pretty high that he'll play in game one. You know, in terms of, you know, that balance, the scale of, you know, where do the, you know, who has the edge? And even without Kadri, the Dabs have been so good at five on five. If you throw Braden Point back into a lightning lineup that has been admittedly very top heavy, so reliant on that top line, uh, as, as I mentioned with Kucherov Stamkos, who's been, you know, to me, maybe at the top of my list for Tampa, Conn Smythe, along mm-hmm. with Vasilevsky heading into the final. But beyond that, it's been a little bit more hit and miss. There have been critical moments, Pat Maroon, of, of course, and uh, our good pal, Nick Paul. I always like to give Nick Paul the credit because he's been so impressive in the playoffs and really has, I think, really opened a lot of people's eyes to his mm-hmm. skill set. Also, of course, he was on the suitcase and described. So, yes, full disclosure. It's a great story. <laughs> but let me, I, I am getting to a question here. Braden Point comes back and he is at least you know, resembles a, a 100% Braden Point. What does that do to, to the overall matchup, to the overall, the, you know, the balancing of the scales as you head into this series if Braden Point is Braden Point for the Tampa Bay Lightning? It makes the Tampa Bay Lightning harder to handle five on five in transition. And it makes that power play more effective 
you know, they haven't had the same out, same look on the PP without point. And, and that's, you know, Corey Perry can play the power play all day long. It's been his bread and butter forever, but he's a different player than point. Okay. Perry get to the front of the net, park his body there, deflect shots, be in the goalie's face, all those things, all things you want. But at this point, he's more, he's more suited to like a second power play unit, whereas point being more mobile and playing in the middle and the bumper and kind of rover, his speed and his agility allows him to get open more often for me. And you get more pucks on and off the blade. It creates a different dynamic of having that middle pop shot. So I think he helps them there. If point's playing center, it's, it, it's a little different than wing for me. Uh, and I'm not sure he'll play center giving, given – the tax that's on the body having to go up and down the ice if it's a lower body injury, but um, he's their most dynamic player for Tampa and where Tampa won the series against the Rangers by largely hard work and bodies to the front of the net with point in the lineup, they just become a faster team that can play better in transition for me. And and that's going to be more, uh, more for Colorado to handle that. I don't think they've seen that same depth. They've handled one or two lines worth, of teams that can rush, look at Edmonton. Okay. Dry's idle and, and McDavid, there's the line you got to look at point and gives two big time weapons in a shutdown line for Tampa. Um, but what Tampa doesn't have, it, and you touched on it before is that same transition game from the defensive core, McCarr and Taves and man, you know, who the under who really is undervalued in the series and, and really his whole career, he's always flown under the radar, even though he went first overall is Eric Johnson. Yeah. He's been awesome for Colorado and he does everything that you need, man. Like he can move the puck. He skates pretty well. He defends pretty well. Like he does them all at a very high level and just doesn't probably get the credit he deserves for it. He lets Byram and and run and do his thing. There's another name that's been just awesome. So um, the young talent there is pretty cool. And that's where I do think that, Colorado, especially from the back end, man, that's an edge. Even though I love Sergachev, McDonough, boy, Tampa's D can shut down. They're just not quite as mobile as Colorado's. What do, you, do, you, look, do you buy the whole coaching battle in mm. like this? And it's going to be a great segue because after, you know, we're going to talk some news of the day and there's some, some coaching news that is very interesting beyond the Stanley Cup final. But, you know, I mean, I think it's fair to say, I, I mean, John Cooper's so – I mentioned this in my column this week, it, you know, like it's been about 10 years since that first time I met, uh, spoke to John Cooper for the first time he was coaching Norfolk in the American hockey league. His team was on a 21 game win streak. And I did a piece for ESPN. Just, it was like, well, nah, let's wedge this in there. You know, he's exactly- they probably, they probably just beaten the lowly Binghamton senators team <laughs> in overtime, which I remember very well. <laughs> Cause I was in net for it. <laughs> I just, I- I just remember that, but, and it was interesting then, of course, it was a year later he took over for Guy Boucher and, and has never really looked back. Um, but John Cooper's always been the same to me. And he's always, you know, his personality seems to be so constant. And I, I think that's an important part of his longevity mm-hmm. and, and his, and part of his success. But, you know, if you're Jared Bednar and you've, you've got a team that, you know, has very little Stanley Cup final experience relative to the lightning, you as a coach, are up against, you know, a guy who was tabbed to coach the Canadian Olympic team. He's back-to-back Stanley Cup. Can, if you're a coach, can you be intimidated in a way that you might be intimidated as a player playing Tampa? Do you think that's a factor? Jared Bednar's not intimidated by anything. Yeah, I don't I, said, I 
I had Jared Bender as an assistant coach in Springfield, Massachusetts, where he was um, actually assistant to Brad Larson, who's now the head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Nolan Pratt was our other assistant, who's also on the staff in Colorado with Jared. Uh, I, I missed him in Peoria by about five months uh, in the American Hockey League, where uh, he left there and then ended up in Springfield. This is a guy who worked his way up from the ECHL. He won a championship there. He won a championship at the American Hockey League. He's followed something of a similar career path to what John Cooper had done. Yeah, And it's no coincidence to me that Bednar has been successful at the NHL level. And the apologists of the world love to say that, oh, well, yeah, he's had great talent. And they, you know what? People say that about coaches of every winning team. (laughs) That's true. You have to, every, and, and I, I hate this argument, man. Like, cause every team in the league to me has at minimum five, just unbelievable players. Yeah. Every coach has that luxury, man. You still have to trot them out in the best way possible and maximize their usage. And I don't think Bednar because of his, of his experience and because of the things that he's, because he's had to work his way up because he's won at lower levels, because he knows what that takes. No chance. He's intimidated by this. I do think there are coaches who would be in this scenario a little bit. They may never admit it, but you know, I think coaches who are assistants most of their career behind the bench who take over and, and just it's a different dynamic than someone who has that winning pedigree coming along. Like I said this yesterday on our daily face-off show that the Florida Everblades were just crowned champions of the ECHL. Yeah. And I know fans look at it and think it's a you know crazy league with wild promos and stuff. And but that's a damn good hockey league. Yeah, it is. And you know, you've got all Americans, former like major junior player of the year, they end up in that league. Winning a championship at any level, Scott, is something you never forget and you take it to your grave. And I never got to do it. I got to play in the finals, and even those moments were massive for myself. But even at the ECHL level or the AHL level, what it takes to accomplish that goal is no different than at the NHL level. Yep. And I think the coaches will tell you that, that have done it before. So, uh, and that's why Cooper's where he is. You, NHL, USHL, AHL, win, 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 NHL, win. You know, Bednar, same way. So um, I think the coaching dynamic of this series is probably something we will overplay the line matching and then the combinations and all that stuff. It's going to be the players at this point. And the coaches will say that, but they are the guiding hand. They're the invisible hand. They're the Joseph Smiths of the world. To See, put and I just want to circle back briefly, you know, because we started with the goaltending. And, I, and I'm curious to see, again, because, because Pavel Francouz has been so good, he's 6-0, and hasn't lost. I mean, his numbers mm-hmm. are okay. They're okay. I mean, but the, what, does, what matters, he has yet to lose a game. Do you think that that – do you think that at some point or in, in the back of Jared Bednar's mind, that factors into – you know, like, let's say Darcy Kumper has a, you know, a rough first period or a rough night in game one. Like, listen, it doesn't matter what Vasilevsky does, right? If the dude gives up 10, he's starting game two, right? With all Ride the- or die, it's baby. It's not even like this. There will be no discussion about that. There will be, I think, a discussion amongst the Colorado coaching staff and maybe management will poke in there. If things go a little bit sideways early for Darcy Kumper, I wonder what that discussion will be like. Or do you like maybe I'm maybe I'm projecting. My guess is though, 
that that's that that would be a real part of the discussion if Darcy Cumper struggles early on by that or no. Maybe um, I'm sure it'll always be a discussion point if that happens. Yeah. But Kemper has only lost the net when he's been hurt. He hasn't lost the net otherwise. And yeah. I think that unless Kemper is injured, it'll, it would be seen as a panic move yeah. to go to Franco's. And I think it would ripple through the locker room as a panic move. Yeah. And I've seen this before. I've seen coaches throw goalie in out of nowhere for a game six or seven. And look at, frankly, look at Cam Talbot in game seven against St. Louis. You know, he hasn't played in forever. Fleury's been playing. Oh, let's suddenly let's go back to the guy who got us here. Yeah. Oh, geez. It didn't go well. Well, yeah. I mean, like uncertainty is not a good thing. So I I think for Kemper, Kemper, it's going to have to take him not feeling 100% or being just straight up awful. Yeah. Like if he's just mediocre, I don't see the switch just to switch. I don't. I haven't seen enough of Francois to really think this is the guy who's just going to take the net. And and Francois hasn't taken the net all season. Like he had a chance midway through, Scott, where uh, with Kemper battling, he had COVID, he had an injury, he was out for a while. I th- actually thought there was an opportunity for Francois to steal that net in Colorado, legitimately take the net and run with it. And, you know, it didn't happen. So I, I think the die has been cast in that way. It would take some really bad performances. But as you alluded to, though, the fact that Francois is 6-0 and means that he's at least closed out games. And yeah. that's powerful, man. Like, you can't take anything away from the guy. And I don't think Kemper's really been able to find a rhythm yet anyway because he hasn't faced a big workload when he's been in. Yeah. You need to let him find a rhythm or else you're just continually throwing spaghetti against the wall. Yeah. So it's a very fine line, Scott. And it's 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 – it's the part of coaching that I don't want anything to do with because John Cooper's got it easy, dude, when it comes to goalies. It's well, like you said, out of it. yeah. put the big cat out there. Whereas, you know, Bender might have to make decisions. You're hoping they don't. You're hoping the team in front of them just plays well enough and it makes it easy. All right, my friend, we're going to change gears here. But before we do, and it's great that you mentioned, you know, having, uh, you know, taking the decision making out of the issue well during the final and whenever you feel that you don't want to be in your own kitchen, it's a good time to remind everyone that DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the nation network of podcasts, restaurants, and more delivered right to your door. My friend, where do you want to start? Cause the, the hockey world, mm. this is the great thing about the final, right? I mean, if you're, you know, if you're a fan, of course, uh, but especially with those, the two teams, it's the narrow end of the telescope, but the machinery of the hockey world never really stops turning. And now you've got 30 teams already looking ahead to the draft in Montreal in early July and free agency the week after that. And we still have multitude uh, coaching openings to discuss, but one and maybe two fewer than a, than a day or so ago. And I wonder, I know that you um, think a lot of Bruce Cassidy and we mm-hmm. talked about his pretty sudden departure from the Boston Bruins didn't last long as he's been uh, formally announced as the new head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, a team, you know, very well. I, I like the fit. My sense is you like the fit as well. I do. I tweeted it yesterday. I think he, Bruce Cassidy's a great fit for Vegas for several reasons. I mean, it's not just his pedigree as a winning coach. It's more so that, you know, this is a team that's mature. It's an older team. They have plenty of star power, plenty of highly played paid players that have frankly been there and done that. When you think of Martinez, who's won Stanley cups and 
Petrangelo has been a captain for a cup winning team. Mark Stone, hopefully his back's healthy, all those things. I think that Cassidy, if there's any knock on him, and it's been well documented, and he pushed back hard on it, is that, you know, he is tough on young players. Well, no, I think Cassidy's just tough on players that don't perform the way that they really should, man. Like, if, if you don't want a coach to be hard on, you play the right way. Like, and that's such a generalized term, but like, do what the coach, the coach asks, and you're not going to be in the doghouse, man. Like, work hard. And that's what he's demanded. So, in some ways, I think that Cassidy, by the end of that tenure in Boston, it just, you could sense it kind of was a diverging path. He didn't have the horses to make it work anymore, man. They could still play defensively because Cassidy's a systems first guy that demands a lot. You have to play hard. But boy, when he had people that could score, there's a reason why they went to the Stanley Cup final. Okay. Like you give him two and a half, three lines of depth, and his teams are good. And I saw it firsthand in Providence for a long time. The teams are good every single year. So, I really, I do think it's a, it's a great fit. I think he's got a similar mentality. He's hungry. He wanted to coach yesterday when he got fired, man. And, you know, I wrote a piece, I guess, four or five days ago now, four days ago that said, I think Cassidy holds the cards in the coaching market now, not trots. And boy, I, I kind of had to take a victory lap yesterday in in that my, (laughs) I love it when a prediction comes true because I thought that because Cassidy's so hungry to coach, immediately and prove everybody wrong and prove Boston that he shouldn't have been the fall guy there, which I think I do think is ridiculous that he was the fall guy. Um, I knew he was going to take a job quick. Yeah. And as soon as I found out Vegas was in the mix, I'm like, man, I, I think this is a really, this is a strong fit. I didn't think trots like somebody asked me yesterday, why not trots? Well, who says trots wanted the gig in Vegas in the first place, just because there was a call or a zoom call or anything. That's yeah doesn't mean somebody wants it or it's the right fit. I heard that was doubtful from the get-go. So I think Vegas gets a coach who fits their mindset, um, who can also, you know, bring in some more structure. Vegas wasn't as good defensively as they needed to be this year under DeBoer. Um, And and I think it's going to set everything in motion. You know, like Scott, yesterday we heard a lot of rumblings about John Tortorella, maybe to Philadelphia. Is that – you know, what do you think about that there? You know, I mean, we've got Philly who's a team that's – they're not going to rebuild. So can, can Torts whip that group into shape? I mean, does do you think Tortorella becomes a, a selling point now for free agents? Knock, knock, Johnny Gaudreau, you know? <laughs> like, Yeah, I, look, I think, listen, John's a very polarizing figure in some ways. And I think, you know, but I, here's my, I, I think that's, all, that's an external thing. And may, I've known John a long time. He and I spoke recently for a piece I did on, you know, the, the dynamics of coaching in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I knew that he was in the mix for a number of, um, you know, opportunities and, and certainly Philly, Philly was one of them. And I think there's this idea that like that he is, you know, like that he's like, you know, way, way out there and so hard. And you know what, listen, John Tortorella is not any different in my mind than a guy like Bruce Cassidy. I don't think he's all that much different than John Cooper. It's just different in how it manifests. All like all he wants to do is win. Like he's mm-hmm. not, it's not about John Tortorella. I, I honestly believe that it's about, I think he wants to win because it's in his DNA. 
You know, he's the only coach to win a Jack Adams and a cup in the same year. He's two-time coach of the year for a reason. Now he demands a lot. And sometimes his, sometimes his forward facing personality is, is somehow, you know, fans get on one side of it or another. He, he's not particularly diplomatic. I don't think you need to be necessarily. But honestly, if you talk to players who have played for him, who've thrived under him, I think of that Columbus team. You know, I went, was looking at it early today. I think they made the play, playoffs four of the six years he was there. Let me just confirm that. Yeah, four times mm-hmm. of six seasons there. They made the playoffs. They went to, to the second round twice. I'm counting beating Toronto in the bubble, but also, of course, the epic sweep of um, – 62 win Tampa last time Tampa lost in the playoffs was to John Tortorella's team in mm-hmm. 19. I just, I like his fit in Philadelphia because it's a team that really has lost its way yeah. and they've lost its way in a, in a big way, right? They, you know, the captain's gone. I don't know where that leadership group is at now. Is it, I don't know who it is, right? Like yeah. it's and, but who else? And I think John Tortorella is a tremendous fit to come in and help to to define that. Okay, who are the guys who are going to work hard? Because, it, and I'll go back to this, John and I were talking about it. When we think about Tampa, and yes, they're blessed with all kinds of talent. Why are they, what did they learn from being swept by Columbus? They learned how to how to play and how to check. And people, it's easy to say they learned how to win. They learned how to play hard and to check. And they have not been outworked in a playoff series since. And if John Tortorella brings that to Philly, I don't know if they're a playoff team or not, but they're going to find their way. And, and I love it. That's there's my, there's my John. Well, Hey, well said. And here's, I, and here's the thing in that coaching piece I wrote, I actually said it that I was terrified of John Tortorella (laughs) and it was not because of the coaching aspect. It had nothing to do with that. I actually think I would have loved playing for him. Yeah. I think his approach is awesome. He he demands from his players, but he also communicates well. I know that. Uh, and maybe not maybe not well if you're on the receiving end and not working hard. Yeah. But that's life, dude. I think that he's a good fit there. And the reason being is that I'm not that far removed from being in that locker room in Philly. Like I'm still, you know, three years out. And you know, it was kind of a country club a little bit. It was pretty easy there, you know, and I think that this is, if he's the guy that's hired, to me, it's pretty obvious that they're trying to get Travis Konechny and Ivan Provorov and some of these guys who are just straight up underperforming, Joel Farabee, Morgan Frost, like they're trying to, they would be trying to light a fire under these guys. And, and it's a litmus test. Like if you can't perform for John, if you don't like John, whatever, like, see ya, we don't want you here. And that's, that's the way it should be because you get guys go, you get them engaged. You get Provorov and TK going like those are good hockey players, man. And they need to be inspired again. And and I, I think it's a great fit if that's what happens. And now you'll see, you'll start to see the dominoes fall, I think, because that was, those are your, you know, you look at Vegas. I think that was probably the hot ticket, but you've still got Dallas out there. Boston still needs a coach. Winnipeg needs a coach. Philly, like Detroit, Detroit under Iserman, which, Man, I don't care what Detroit looks like right now on paper. Yeah. Their trajectory is going like this. Yep. They got another big time defender coming out next year. You've still got Iserman running at their stockpile. Like that's an that's a more attractive job than I think people realize. Yeah. You know, uh, totally. so 
Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I'm still waiting to see. And there's, and this will get, you know, this bleeds us into, you know, some player discussion and, mm-hmm. and really what, you know, what is the direction the Blackhawks are headed? And we hear all kinds of rumors about to bring cat, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. on, basically available, which, which means scorched earth, right. For a Blackhawk team. Yeah. And looks like you're already in the running for Connor Bedard who becomes, you know, with all due respect to whoever ends up at number one or two um, or three in the coming draft in Montreal, Connor Bedard represents a different kind of generational player, a different kind of cornerstone player. And you can already see teams, you know, I mean, it's just, it's the allure is different uh, in 23 than it will be in 22 to be at the top of that draft uh, order. And if Chicago feels like, I don't know where they're at. It's they're in, they're in weird no man's land in terms of their roster. But if the Brinkat goes, then that sends the clear signal. And then I don't know what you do with your coach. Does Derek King come back? Because mm-hmm. does it really matter who's coaching them? It, it you know, I, I just think Chicago is an interesting test case as well, because they're at a team that's, I don't know where they are at in terms of their curve and, it, you know, relative to a team like Detroit, which is, you know, has been at the bottom. And now the expectations are going to be different for whoever Steve Eisenman hires in Detroit now. Yeah, Detroit's only two, three years away, tops. Yeah. Like they should be knocking on the door in two years. Whereas Chicago, you're looking at three to four, easy, because you got to filter in your draft picks. And I mean, Derek King is a very well liked person and coach. I mean, and there's a thought process there that he could very easily stay with Chicago if that's the way it turns out. And, and I don't mind that for a second. You need somebody there that's going to have a bit of, I mean, stability is not really a bad thing here if you're trying to rebuild again. So, um, He'll get due diligence in Chicago, but what always comes to mind is just that's a desirable place to coach and live. You know, it's a big market. It's it's a job that's going to, frankly, like pay pretty well if they go to hire somebody. But it's it's a good place to live, man. So, um, and it's a it's a storied franchise. There's always a draw to storied franchises. You know, coaching the Hawks means something. You know, and you know, I hate to say it, but coaching the Coyotes doesn't mean anything right now. You know, like, congrats, you coach the Coyotes. Oh, you coach the Hawks. You know, this is perception. Okay. Like in inside hockey, we all know that it's coveted to get a job anywhere. We get that. I'm being demonstrative here. Yeah, no, um, fair though. But, but, but I think that that's, that's a real case in Chicago. So I, I'm just amazed by how many names we see on the list. There are so many coaches available and, you know, coaches off the radar. I've, I've heard Jay Leach's name tossed around a little bit and boy, I've been lobbying for him for a while now. I, you know, we wore four or five jerseys together. He's, he's, I, I said a long time ago, this guy's going to be a head coach in the NHL long before he ever was and, or, or long before he transitioned into coaching. And I know Seattle didn't have a great year, but man, I sure believe in Jay Leach. I think he's a rising star and he'd be an interesting fit in Boston and other places, but you still got the big name draws out there, Scott. So um, there's a lot of, there's a lot left in the coaching market. There's also a lot left in the player market. And I mean, it's funny how now with the salary cap and talking buyouts and other things that could potentially happen, you're still looking at some goalie movement this off season. You know, uh, what do you make of this? Like, apparently Gibson might be available. Matt Murray, where does he stand with Ottawa? Could there be a reunion with him and Kyle Dubas 
previously of the Sioux Greyhounds together in Toronto. Like, where are these rumors coming from, Scott? And is there any validity to these things, man? Well, it's and I mean, the whole I mean, the Gibson thing has been interesting. I was just looking at Matt Murray's numbers here in Ottawa. And, you know, I mean, it's he's got two more years at six point two five million. He's got a modified no trade. What a um, terrible contract. Oh, it's not great. The day it was signed, I couldn't believe my eyes. But anyway, good for him. I was a bit surprised to hear the whole, you know, Matt Murray, and I understand the connection with Kyle Dubas in, uh, in Toronto. And, but, of course, you know, it all comes back to the Leafs. So, well, what are you doing? I mean, is Jack Campbell your guy? Can you afford him? Do yeah. you want to pay him dollar in turn? Do, uh, do you believe, right? Do you believe he's your guy? And if not, then what is the plan? And Matt Murray, like, I don't, I don't get that, frankly. And with all due respect to Matt Murray, I, I am curious about John Gibson because, of course, the, the whole Anaheim thing is a little bit different now um, with Pat Verbeek. We've already seen monumental change since Pat Verbeek took over as uh, GM midseason. You know, Gibson's under contract through 26, 27 at $6.4 million. He, too, has a uh, modified 10-team no-trade list. Um, like, in terms of okay, like who's the guy to get you over the hump in Toronto? And there are two or three teams looking for starting goaltending. I mean, what, I mean, where is, what is, what is Edmonton's plan now? Uh, You know, it's, and again, love Mike Smith, but okay. So that's, he's not going to be your starter. Is Stuart Skinner the guy too soon? Probably. So you're Toronto, you're Edmonton, you're both now teams with, you know, monstrous expectations and, and legitimate, belief that if you find the answer to the goaltending question, you might go, you might run the table. I think that you can say that. Okay. The Leafs running the table for them might mean winning a single round, but anyway, where does that goalie come from? And, you know, I mean, if you're, you know, if if you're, uh, if you're Anaheim, are you ready to move on from John Gibson because you're in now in, in a different place in your evolution is John Gibson the guy? I, like to me, I don't know. I have no sense of what he is capable of, given that the team hasn't been very good in front of him. I don't, like I don't know. What do you make of John Gibson? I don't know what to say about him in a way that I'm like, well, yeah, okay, that could work. Or why would why would you do that? If I'm Pad Verbeek, I trade him. Yeah, immediately. <laughs> I get what I can. Okay, yeah. and and because that team's in a full rebuild in Anaheim now, Pad Verbeek is making that team into his mold. Gibson's window of quality goaltending is going to start to close. And I think it already closed three or four years ago because he hasn't updated his game from a technical standpoint whatsoever. And, but here's the thing, you can still make the playoffs with a goalie like that. Jonathan quick hasn't changed since 2013 and the LA Kings were in the playoffs and almost got past the Edmonton Oilers this year. But I don't think you win a Stanley cup with a goalie who lacks structure any longer. I think those days are long gone and Man, I'm being critical of a goalie here who's far better than I ever was, that I ever will be. Um, but when I don't see evolution to somebody's game, there's two things: either they don't want it to uh, to do, either they don't want to improve themselves because they don't see the need; they think it's just whatever their surroundings are that's bringing down their numbers, or they simply can't. Right. And either of those are a big problem. It's one of the two, because. I look at Vasilevsky's game and I have seen him evolve over time. 
Yeah. I've seen Shashirkin do the hovercraft all around the ice with his movements and never end up out of the net and, and not square and on his ass and back and chest like Gibson is all the time and spread and, and prone to injury because of it. At six plus with that much term for Gibson, you better believe you've got the best goalie coach on earth and he's going to listen to him. Yeah. And right now the Maple Leafs don't have a goalie coach. That so. Was- yeah, I'm, that was my I'm not question. Yeah, because yeah, I'm, I'm not touching Gibson. I, I'm sorry. I if some if he gets traded to somebody, like I said, he may carry them. Maybe he finds a fountain of youth, but he needs to update his game. And that sounds harsh. But if I'm the goalie coach, I'm walking in. I'm having that conversation right away. That we're going to go to work, and we are going to make you the top goaltender that you once were. Because objectively, if you if you put side by side video up of Gibson and the best goalies, there's a huge difference now in how they play. That's just a fact. So, um, and, and Murray to Toronto, I don't see it. I just, there's too many obstacles, salary cap, everything. Do you believe in Matt Murray more than Peter Morazic at this point? I don't know. I, I, the whole key to this, Scott, to close out the goalie talk is simple. Winning teams develop from within. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Anaheim did that with Gibson. Good on them. Toronto hasn't. Yeah. And, you know, you're you're hoping Joseph Wall comes through or maybe um, uh, maybe Shalgren ends up being the guy. But like. This is why spending a first round pick on a top flight goalie isn't a bad idea, man. Look yeah. at the guys dominating. Look at Ottinger and look at, you know, what Spencer Knight's going to become and Vasilevsky. OK, yeah. I mean. It's real. You need to invest in these positions. So I was curious um, about the. I think like I, I, I'll share this. I what do I know? I said, you know, the, the Leafs have the Leafs have gone in a different direction, right? And Steve Briere, um, you know, the goalie coach there, and it sounds like the Leafs are are really taking a hard look at the, the their goaltender development. Mm-hmm. Structure and li- listen. I, I, I wasn't even joking. I, I think you'd be great there, but it strikes me that if you're the least, don't. Isn't that part of you have to address what you just said? It's it's not mm-hmm. it, it the goalies that are already in the system. The ones that may end up in the system as of uh, July seventh and eighth, whatever the dates are in Montreal coming up. But if you can't find a, a group to I a identify and then help to develop those young goaltenders. And then you are going to go in continuous circles, trying to find the answer, but like how important people often joke. Oh, so you fire the goalie coach. That was your real problem. I'm not saying it was Steve Briere's fault, but maybe you are addressing a problem that is systemic and that has to be addressed. If you are going to be consistently, an elite goaltending team. Does that make sense? Like I, sure. I'm not surprised by it. I mean, address the issue. When I see Peter Mrazek playing four feet outside of his crease yeah. after trying to say that he's reigning in his game a little bit and consistently doing it. So either the messaging wasn't getting through to that goaltender or the messaging was just different than what it needed to be. Because like, listen, your job as a goalie coach is to be the advocate for the goalie. It's to be that bridge between the coaching staff and the player. It's the most unique relationship to me. Like yeah. they're, your goalie coach is, your, is like your, your friend and your confidant and your mentor. But there's also times where your goalie coach needs to tell you what the hell to do. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes I think that goalie coaches aren't quite willing to stick their neck out like that. They still want to be their goalie's buddy and they're afraid of that relationship being hurt. And you have to be open and honest. And like Brazic didn't change a bit last year. 
You know, like I, I've, I'm sitting here listening to him say, I'm trying to play closer at home. And the next night he's almost at the dot for a shot on a rush and gets roasted. And I just, this is not working, man. It's not getting through. So um, if you can't change your goalies, you change your goalie department, but you have to build one first. And that's where, you know, I, Toronto's, it's not that they haven't thrown resources. They've always had a development goalie coach. Um, they had Piero Greco, who's now in Long Island for a long time, who did a good job for them developing. They've they've done right things, but I think they need a whole department, man. You need a head of goaltending. You need, a, you need an NHL goalie coach. You need a minor league goalie coach to spend time with your prospects in the American League, and occasionally ECHL. You need three guys minimum in today's game. And the problem is that teams just don't spend, man. Like development goalie coaches make 50 to 70 grand. You tell me you're going to get somebody who's going to ditch their private clinic practice back home, making 150, 200 G's to go be an NHL development goalie coach for 50 grand, like 70 grand. Are we crazy? Like NHL goalie coach is making anywhere from like 150 to two or 250. And it's starting to finally bump up a little bit, but like, there's assistant coaches and associate coaches making millions of dollars in the NHL. Yet the most important position in the game is goaltending. And these are the resources you throw at it. You're not going to get the best and the brightest if you don't pay them because they can go back and make a killing off of these rich parents that'll fly their kids in from you know, California to Red Deer on a private jet so that their kid can play in the National Hockey League and buy an entire team of good players to fly in and support your young goaltender with quality players to go to tournaments and trounce everybody. And everybody goes, wow, the goalie was amazing. And then he moves on. Like, yep. It's changed a lot, Scott, and the money's ruined it at the youth level, but it's also become a preventer of the top goalie talent in terms of coaching. Yeah. Moving on being at the NHL in my eyes, you know? So how do you fix that? You pay people and you, and you hold their feet to the fire if you do it. Well, to me, like, listen, we're coming out of a pandemic. Lots of people, lots of, lots of teams, lots of owners have been badly hurt. So I, like, I, yeah, I sort of get that. But to me, that's the one thing. And, you know, Philadelphia is an interesting thing because I know this is a long time, you know, months ago, even, you know, in the midst of this horrific season, and they talked about committing more money to development and um, scouting and, all, you know, mm-hmm. like, if you can spend them, that's not under the cap, right? You can right. spend what you want if you want to have you know if you want to have a goalie department i'm florida went ahead florida built it right there they did there, luongo and all the you know that group down there uh, lair you can do it if you have the will and the wherewithal to do it there's nothing stopping you from doing it unless no unless you don't have the vision for it or unless your owner says i'm not paying an extra 500 grand for these three people to come and do that job. So, you know, what my, you know how much I love racing and you just absolutely reminded me of something that I grew up hearing all the time is that one of the ways that racing series have tried to bring costs down, control costs for the teams is that they limit testing because testing is expensive. Well, if you don't test on the track, the teams take it and they go spend it at the shaker rig doing testing off the track where they rig the car up to this machine that moves the car all around. And it costs all kinds of money to do that. How fast do you want to go in racing equals how much do you want to spend? Yep. And it's not very different in hockey that how bad do you want to win? How much do you want to spend? Correlate it, man. Like you need the right checkbook to do it. 
and and you can punch above your weight, but it gets really tough if you're not supported in the right way. Well, and listen, we're going to, well, it's, it brings us right back very nicely because, you know, ownership in, in Colorado has, uh, you know, has, has given Joe Sackick the wherewithal to, you know, he's done a great job, but they, you know, they're, they're a team that spends and Jeff Vinnick in Tampa may just be the best owner in all of pro sport in my mind um, for how he's approached his job. And it is a job to own that team in Tampa and all the changes he's made in downtown Tampa, all the things that he has done, but it has, you do you ever hear about Jeff Minnick, you know, meddling with Steve Eiserman or Julian Breezeball? Never, never Scott. He's the perfect owner. He is man. Come in, throw money at it, make it to destination, hire the right people and just stay like, and Vinnick will even, occasionally give interviews yeah it's never about the player personnel or the team it's it's just it's his pride of owning it it's what he's done to make it what it is it's it's talking about the business aspect of it some teams have owners who just can't help themselves and we've seen that before yeah they get too involved yeah yeah uh all right uh anything else you got the closing Part, a parting shot, a closing thought. <laughs> the game one coming up in a few hours. I'm excited. I'm, 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 this has been great as always. I hope you didn't, uh, you know, you get the coffee all behind, beyond you now. <laughs> we are good. You know what? You got me all fired up today, which means it was a great podcast. I, my energy was going. I, I felt my blood pressure rising because we hit some topics that are really near and dear to my heart, kind of goalie heavy. Um, and I think we're due for a great final. I really hope so. Um, yep. I'm looking forward to it, Scott. You've done a great job previewing and getting things ready. We've got a bunch of stuff up at Daily Faceoff with yourself, uh, myself as well, Frank Valley, Matt Larkin. Everybody's been digging deep there. So yep. uh, I'm going to order some DoorDash tonight. I think it's a sushi night. And ah. I'm going to bunker in on that couch and take some notes while we watch this game. All right, brother. Well, listen, great work by you next week. Man, who knows where we'll be at, but uh, can't wait to catch up in a week's time. Good work by you. You as well, Scott. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.